And it's good to be back with you. Uh, sorry to be away for two weeks. Uh, hashtag thanks COVID. Um, uh, but a, a, a very special thank you to our staff who uh, two Sundays ago I started texting at four o'clock in the morning uh, to tell them that I wouldn't be at worship. And they stepped up and handled it beautifully for two weeks. Uh, so I thank them uh, for their diligence and their, and their hard work. Thank you, thank you uh, for giving me time uh, to heal. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday, a Sunday that is set apart where it said the disciples were all in one place, inviting the Holy Spirit to move among them. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Almost, <clears throat> almost 15 years ago, 
Christy and I experienced lots of new. We were newly wed. We were new to parenthood. We were moving to a new city, to a new church. I was figuring out how to be a pastor, so it was a new job. To give you some context, in 2007, May 26th, 2007, I was appointed and moved to Broadmoor United Methodist Church as their associate. So on May 26th, we rolled into town. And Isabel was born June 12th. The paint hadn't dried yet in the parsonage. Lots of new to go around, and when you're a new parent, uh, a, a, a new pastor in a new city, in a new church, it can, all of this new can be absolutely terrifying. Have you ever been in that place where everything is new and you just don't know what kind of sense to make of it just yet? About three months later, we decided to take Isabel on the great baby tour of South Louisiana because we thought that it behooved our family, all of our family lives in South Louisiana, most of our family lives in South Louisiana. We thought it would behoove them for us to go visit them instead of inviting them to come visit the circus that was our house at the time. So we took Isabel on the great baby tour of 2017, and we went to Christie's grandmother's house, and while we were there, and everyone was ooing and eyeing over this new uh, child, the, uh, one of the first grandchild in, in the family, we noticed something remarkable. And we took, we took this picture. And we realized that there were five generations of Christie's family all in one place. This is the kind of picture that you print, that you frame, that you put on the wall, that you put in the family Bible, that you put in the firebox with the Social Security cards and the passports. And five generations all in one place. And suddenly, all of the new was no longer terrifying. Once we realized that all of the new that we were experiencing, others had experienced before, all of the new that we found so fearful was actually built on the shoulders of at least five generations of giants in the family. What was in that place was both our tradition and both a hope for the future. When you look at that picture, when you see those different generations, can you imagine the amount of change that happened between Christie's great-grandmother and Isabel, the newborn? Each person in that family has a unique story and has had unique experiences. They were fearful too. But that fear begins to subside when we realize that we are part of a larger picture, part of a larger story, part of a larger family. They are all united together, and it's not their politics that keeps them together. It is not their understanding of the world that keeps them together. It is blood. It is blood. They are family. Then you start to look at the child in that photo and realize that her story will be beautiful and unique, also not like the others but also forever linked together with them. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. There's something truly beautiful about that, that all the disciples, remember, all of the disciples who were hiding away, who had dispersed, who left Jesus there on the cross to die alone, 
After spending 40 days with the Lord, they were finally all in one place. They were not afraid. Well, maybe, if we pay attention to the story. They are still behind closed doors. They are in, traditionally, the upper room where they shared their last meal together with Jesus. But at least they were all together in one place. In this moment, tradition is being preserved. Pentecost is a day set apart by the Jewish people to recognize it is the day that, and to celebrate, the day that Moses gave the law to the people. That is what the day of Pentecost is. It is a day set apart to remember that God was vulnerable, that God offered God's will to the people. So that's what they were celebrating. They gathered to remember their past. But in that moment, God was about to do something new. In that place was both tradition and an innovation that the world had never seen. Traditioned innovation. So, in our spare time, one of the projects that we are working on, I say we, it's, it's I and a bunch of people who are smarter than I, are working on a project with both the Louisiana Methodist Foundation and the Texas Methodist Foundation, and it's a project called Prevenient Technology. Prevenient Technology. You can't get more Methodist than that. Prevenient as in prevenient grace. It is the kind of grace, it is the kind of love that God has for us that moves toward us before we even know who God is. It is why we baptize infants in the United Methodist Church. It's a symbol. It's recognizing that God calls you by name even before you know who God is. Prevenient grace. So it's prevenient, ancient, connected to the church, but it's also technology. We're looking at ways to connect with a new generation. And one of the things that we're working on is an app for confirmation, and it's called Circuit Rider. Circuit Rider teaches our young people Methodist history, our Wesleyan doctrine. It teaches uh, of, of the way the church is organized, but it's also an online game that you play, and it, you play it exactly like Oregon Trail. Do you remember Oregon Trail in the 1980s? Yeah, have you played Oregon Trail? Did you die of a dysentery on Oregon Trail? Did you? Yes, all these things. Yeah, it's a game. It looks just like Oregon Trail, where, where you are one of John Wesley's circuit riders, and instead of trying to go to Oregon, you're going around England, and you're learning the history and the tradition of the church. And it's, Well, let me show you a demo so you see what, what we're talking about. This is great. It is, it is both new and familiar. It teaches our history and our doctrine and our ethics, but in a new interactive way for next generation. Look, I love my children, and part of my livelihood is writing books and filming DVDs and teaching small group material, and not a single one of them are going to do it. It hits old dad right between the chest bone, right? They're not going to read my books. They're not going to do a study where a talking head is teaching them about. But Circuit Rider, an app like Cookie Run or, um, you know, Name Your Poison, right? Candy Crush, whatever, Sim City, right? Put it in an app, in a game. Well, now they can't get their eyes off of it. And they just 
They just might learn about Jesus along the way, right? Traditioned innovation. By the way, if you'd like to learn more about traditioned innovation, that app is going to cost about $20,000. We have about ten. Just throwing that out there, friends, if you'd like to go to lunch with me and I can tell you more about that app, and if you want to pave the way for the future, I'd love to treat you to coffee, right? Traditioned innovation. Old and new. And that's part of what the day of Pentecost is about. When the day of Pentecost had come about, they were all in one place, a day set apart to recognize a tradition that had been around hundreds and hundreds of years, but God was about to do something new. God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, and they started speaking in different tongues. Understand that in the story. They were not speaking in a new spiritual language that everyone had to learn. They were speaking in languages that were already established, ancient To understand the remarkable nature of Pentecost, Jews were speaking Arabic in that day, all for the glory of God. People who did not get along were hearing their native tongue. The kind of language that is mentioned in this text, native tongue, is an intimate language language. It's not just that they were speaking French to the French. They were using the kind of language that a parent uses with a child in their own living room. For example, when I was born, my parents called me Little Bitty Bit. Oh, thank you. So when my mother calls me that today, It is intimate, it is native, it is something that was born in our living room. There he is, a little bitty bit up there, right? That's the kind of language that they were hearing on that day. That's the kind of language that God used. God speaks to us in a way that we can understand. I remember my calling when I went up to Duke Divinity School and I prayed to God, God, is this where I need to be? Me as a music major who had never written a term paper in my life, do not follow that lead, high schoolers, middle schoolers. But when I got to Duke, I'd never been, I was so out of my league. And I sat there as a music major, Lord, I know I'm not supposed to ask this, but give me a sign. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Sitting in the chapel, the organ started playing. And that moment was an absolute miracle to me, that God was speaking in a native tongue to me, affirming that it was where I needed to be. Now, little did I know that the organ professor played every day at 12.15 in the chapel. But on this side of the kingdom, it was an absolute affirmation of a miracle. Isn't it interesting how God works? God was about to do something remarkable and new. God was pouring out God's Spirit on regular people. The old were having vision, the old were having dreams, and the new, the young, were having visions. This was the new. That there wasn't a Jesus, or a Moses, or an Elizabeth, or a Miriam, or an Isaiah. God was pouring out God's Spirit 
on the zealot, Simon the zealot, who wanted to overthrow the government. God was pouring out God's Spirit on Matthew the tax collector, who was working for the government. God was pouring out God's Spirit on James and John, who they called the sons of thunder, because they were thirsty for power. And they asked Jesus, let me sit at my right and my brother at your left when you come into your kingdom. God was pouring out God's Spirit on Peter, the one who denied him. What on heaven and earth is God thinking? giving us that kind of power. You and me, faulty people. It's like when you have a child and they let you leave the hospital with another human being. Without a manual, without so much as a high five, they'll give you a bill, but that's about all they give you. God, your plan can sound so bozo. but God can be trusted. God trusts in us. God poured out God's Spirit on regular, faulty people. The comforter, the advocate, the teacher, and the guide is now among all of us. It's said that men and women would prophesy, slave and free would prophesy. All of those had access to God's Spirit. Comforter, advocate, teacher, guide. There's a great comfort in what God did that day using a native language that we could understand. But that's really kind of how the Spirit is described in John's Gospel. If you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit and goes, the, the guide, the teacher, the advocate, will be with you. But understand, in the Gospel of Acts, the Holy Spirit is not about comfort. You do realize at the beginning of the story, they were all in one place behind closed doors. They were in the upper room. I would argue that the disciples were still afraid of what lied beyond that room if you read the text, it says there was a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And that sound of the rush of a violent wind brought them out into the streets. Church, the Holy Spirit brought them out into the streets. And when they were there, the crowd was already waiting. Sometimes we think, in terms of evangelism, we go out into the world and we bring Jesus to them. Not in this story, friends. The Holy Spirit drove the disciples out just like it drove Jesus into the wilderness in Mark's gospel. It drove the disciples out of that upper room, and you know what? The crowd was already there. They had heard the Spirit as well. Isn't it interesting that Jesus sometimes meets us before we get to the hub? Sometimes Jesus meets us before we start serving at the food pantry. Jesus is already there. We are called to be conduits of where Jesus already is, using a language that they can understand. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit starts to meddle, when the Holy Spirit starts to stir and move, it pushes, it aggravates. It is the grain of sand in the machinery of the world that messes things up just enough for us to see salvation. And it offers us a conviction that we don't forget. 
When I was in high school, confession starts with the pastor, so here we go. When I was in high school, we were on a mission trip. It's called Appalachia Service Project, and we went up into Tennessee, and we were uh, doing some home repair. Uh, uh, and there was an old man uh, and his dog. We're the only ones living in this holler, right, in Tennessee, and his home was built on the side of a mountain. The mountain was one of his walls, essentially. So we were there, and we were helping with home repair, and about 1030 in the morning, uh, he came out, and he served all of us chicken patties. He was just being, he was just being kind. And there were the, you know, the, the, the reheated, frozen, that you put, you know, in a microwave kind of chicken. Delicious, right? Savory, you know, five-star, three-star Michelin dinner, right? And he kind of hobbled and, and came and, and gave us these chicken patties. And we were being snot-nosed teenage brats. Like, we ate a couple of them, and they, were disg- they tasted like a freezer, right? As you might imagine. They were just, bleh, you know, pro- probably great value, you know. And we threw them into the woods, Later that morning, uh, he told us that he, he had to leave. He had to go uh, to the market. And he and his dog started, he didn't have a car. He and his dog started walking, I don't know how long, to the store. Well, we being snot-nosed teenagers, uh, we started getting hungry because we had thrown away the food that was offered to us. So we, and I'm not using the, it, we, me, me and we, broke into his house to look for food. When we got into the kitchen, I opened up the refrigerator freezer. Do you know what I saw? An empty box of chicken patties and nothing else. It's those moments when the Holy Spirit hits you deep in your gut. The Holy Spirit hits you in the heart and says to you, how dare you? How dare you? It was that moment that I said, never again. Never again am I going to be that person. Well, now here, old little bitty bit is up here as a preacher. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does remarkable things. But the Holy Spirit pushes and prods and is not polite and puts us in places where we dare not go alone. The Holy Spirit does not ask our permission. Instead of passing out bulletins, we should pass crash 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 test helmets out. The Holy Spirit is not necessarily interested in your safety. It is interested in expressing the kingdom of God. So it just might send you out into the world to speak Arabic when you never imagined that you would. It just might send you out in the world to love someone that you don't think deserves it. It just might send you out in the world to be in one place with someone who does not look like you or who does not think like you, who does not vote the way that you do, who grew up on the other side of the railroad tracks. The Holy Spirit is not interested in your comfort. The Holy Spirit is interested in your salvation. Do you think, friends, that there are only upper-middle-class white Methodists in heaven? If you do, I have news for you. If we're going to spend eternity with people who don't look and think and act like us, then maybe we should start getting used to it now. 
of having a love so extravagant that the crowd who sees us is confused. The Holy Spirit interrupts and it disrupts. Yes, it comforts, but it also convicts. The Holy Spirit interrupts. I remember several years ago, uh, it was with Cecilia, and I was working on, on a book, and I was, you know, had a deadline, and I was frustrated, and she kept saying, Daddy, will you play with me? Like, baby, Daddy's almost finished. Daddy's trying to do the thing, almost finished. Daddy, will you play with me? I'm almost, and then the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does and says, who do you think you are, sir? Play with your child. The Holy Spirit interrupts, and it interrupted them that day. They thought they were celebrating the day that Moses gave them the law. But it called them out into the world to be with people they never thought they could be or would be with. The Holy Spirit disrupts. It calls us out into a seemingly unfriendly world to be with people who are not like us. Friends, homogeny makes us susceptible to disease. Homogeny makes us susceptible to disease. In other words, if you plant only one kind of fruit, all it takes is one kind of bug to destroy the entire harvest. If we are all the same, it only takes one kind of sickness to destroy us. And that sickness can be racism. That sickness can be classism. That sickness could be treating people who are poor differently than you. If we are all the same, it only takes one sickness, friends, to spoil the harvest. Oh, the Holy Spirit disrupt. You read the story that some, were, some sneered at what was going on. They thought it was wacky. They thought it was crazy. They thought they were drunk. And, of course, the funniest scripture in all of the Bible, Paul, Peter's rationale, they're not drunk. It's only nine. As if kickoff wasn't at 11, right? The Holy Spirit also comforts. Remember, they were using a native language. They were hearing little bitty bit. They were hearing God, Abba. Jesus called God Abba, which means Daddy. Now, we like to... We like to puff that up and wear fine robes and we say, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus said, Daddy. That's how intimate God wants to be with you. The Holy Spirit interrupts, it disrupts, it comforts, and it also convicts. At the end of our story, we didn't get there, but I trust that you can read it on your own. At the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts, the crowd says, after 3,000, um, Peter is preaching to the crowds, and the crowd says, what do we do? Like, they're really into it. Peter's like, man, this is it. The Holy Spirit's coming. God's doing something new. So they ask, what do we do? And he says, repent. Turn around. Reassess. Take a look at where you are. Then he said, dedicate yourselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. He did not say dedicate yourself to building tall steeples. He did not say dedicate yourself to one political party or the other. He didn't say dedicate yourselves to a closed uh, gated community. He said dedicate yourselves to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. And after he said that, 3,000 people joined the movement. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 3,000 people saying yes at once. We don't have enough offering envelopes for that today. What a great problem to have. What if? What if we dedicate ourselves to the movement of the Holy Spirit? What if we dedicate ourselves to traditioned innovation? What if we dedicate ourselves to reassess where we are and gather all in one place and to devote ourselves to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers? What might God do with that? What if we take a snapshot of this day, seeing all of us in one place, to ease our fear of what God might have in store tomorrow, knowing that we rest on the shoulders of giants for the task at hand tomorrow, to move with the Holy Spirit that is not always polite and often isn't, so that the world might know of the love of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.